Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, author Carl Gallups will begin a series that looks inside Scripture to give us some much-needed glimpses of glory. And Pastor Larry has an important update on the wonderful impact your support is having in our outreach to prisoners. For all of our brand new listeners, we have an outstanding resource for you our new listener pack. Inside the new listener pack is a collection of resources designed to welcome you to Watchmen on the Wall. Every new listener pack includes our Prophetic Observer newsletter and a free gift. So make sure and request your free new listener pack when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Have you ever wanted to discover deep and glorious truths from God's Word? Carl Gallops and James Collins begin to do just that on today's Watchman on the Wall. My guest today is Pastor Carl Gallops. Carl is the senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida, and he is the best-selling author of The Summoning, Gods and Thrones, Gods of the Final Kingdom, Gods of Ground Zero, and the book that we're going to talk about today, Glimpses of Glory. Pastor Carl, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Oh, Brother James, thank you, man. It's a great honor to be with you again. Thank you for having me back. Well, before we talk about Glimpses of Glory, would you take a moment and share your testimony? How did you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I was right at 17 years old when I had a dramatic experience of understanding the gospel through Jesus Christ and the need for a personal relationship with the Lord and surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus, you know, repented of my sin and was saved and born again. And so my wife and I, we married right out of high school. We've been together ever since, but we went straight into careers and college and just got on with life. And she was raised in a family that just really loved the Lord and was very involved since she was a child. So we were able to encourage each other in our early walk and our early marriage. But I went right into the career of law enforcement, and she was doing administrative work with the state of Florida and wound up being the governor's personnel director. While we're in those careers, God had a calling on our lives. As the years went by, we both just really understood that our calling was full-time ministry, and we surrendered to that calling went on to finish more of our education. And then I came to Hickory Hammock 35 years ago to pastor, figuring I would be there a couple of years. We figured we'd go into missions. We really wanted to do that. But I've been there 35 years, brother, my first and only church. We've done missions around the world. God has opened doors. And I've been writing. It's put me in media. We've given us bigger platforms for conferences and more missions. And so it's been a journey, brother, to all praise to the Lord. And it began when my wife and I were both teenagers. Well, you mentioned your father. Let me read part of the dedication of your new book, Glimpses of Glory. You write, For my dad, Dr. Bill Gallups, one of the greatest fans of my books and a consistent source of resolve that this one should be written. Pastor Carl, it's obvious from your introduction that you and your dad were close, and I understand that he recently went to heaven. Tell me about your dad and how he influenced you. My dad was a great man and a great influence on my life. His career was in teaching at the college level Uh, and mm -hmm. schools of business. He taught at the University of Michigan in the School of Business. He taught at Florida State for 30 years and retired there. School of Business, teaching auditing, finance, banking, and accounting. So, yeah, very influential in my life. We were very close, and he read all of my books. 
He just passed recently. My mom passed a couple of years ago. He took care of her. She passed away with Alzheimer's, and he took Mm -hmm. care of her to the last moment in the home and just was a great example of how you love the woman that you're married to until death do us part. And when I told him, because he kept telling me, you need to write a book like this, and he kept saying how, you know, put the people in the narrative like you do with so many of your books. I always have five or six, seven chapters where I put you in the narrative of the scriptures. Well, he said, you have to do a whole book like that. Start in the Garden of Eden, go all the way to the book of Revelation, and just, you know, you can't tell every jot and tittle, he said, but tell the story of what it's all about, why we're here, where we're going, what God's doing, but tell it from the point of view of the people being immersed in all of that, on Noah's Ark and in the garden and with Jesus on the shores of Galilee and at the cross and, you know, all the way through. So when he told me that, I said, well, that's good, but now you're talking about writing a novel, (laughs) you know, and most of my stuff was nonfiction. And this book, as you've read it, it's nonfiction, but yet it's written in a fiction style, but it's based upon the scriptures and the truths of the scriptures. That was his influence, you know, and so I wrote the book. He was so excited, but he was actually in his last days by the Mm -hmm. time it came to print. He did see it. I read a bunch of it to him. He loved it. He was so proud, but not long after that, he passed away. Well, the book is a page-turner. Part of it is, like you said, written like a novel. Part of it is Bible teaching. And I've read several of your books, and I know that you've never written anything quite like Glimpses of Glory. I love this book, Pastor Carl, because it's about Jesus. But it's not just another book about Jesus. You see Jesus from the Garden of Eden to the Revelation. Now, has anyone told you that Glimpses of Glory would make a great movie? You know what, brother? Thank you for saying that, because if you're saying that, you're about the 20th person that's told me that. So, yeah, I kind of wrote it that way, not having in mind for it to be a movie, but I wanted people to feel like they were watching a movie and that they were immersed in it. And I guess it must have worked, and praise the Lord for giving me that ability and that anointing. So, yeah, I've had several people tell me it, it would be cool if it would be just because I would... Love to see that on screen, that immersive style of understanding the whole Word of God from the Garden of Eden to the past, the book of Revelation. Beginning in the third chapter of the book, you write about Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane as Satan speaks to Jesus in an interdimensional voice. Don't you think that there's a connection between the Garden of Gethsemane and the Garden of Eden? Absolutely. And I write about that in my book, Gods of Ground Zero, and I get into the scholarship of it, because there are scholars that agree with that. I think that the Garden of Gethsemane, and this might shock some of your audience that has never thought about this, but again, I've written it in a scholarly style in Gods of Ground Zero, showing the evidence for the possibility, because the Bible doesn't say that the Garden of Gethsemane is the exact spot of where the sin took place in the Garden of Eden. But a lot of scholars have speculated that it would be so based upon biblical truths. And so I took that same speculation, that biblical scholarly speculation, and I'll share with the audience what some of that is in a moment. I took that and I just wrote it as though that's exactly what it was about, and that's what happened. That's why Jesus went to, as the Bible says, to a certain spot, knelt and prayed and did this horrible spiritual battle to the point of the stress bursting the capillaries in his forehead and mixing with blood and 
and his disciples off in the darkness asleep and said about a stone's throw away. Well, brother, that'd be about a half a football field. So they were a good ways away. And he was alone, but yet he did battle. And one of the Gospels talks about an angel showing up, Mm -hmm. you know, to basically get him out of it. I mean, you know, people say, well, the angel would know better than that. Not necessarily. Peter wrote about how even the angels didn't know every detail of what was happening. Even the prophets that wrote the prophecies about the Christ that was to come, they were not allowed to know every detail. All of this was guarded at the throne of God, the Lamb slain before the foundation. The whole setup was a trap to catch Satan, to destroy his kingdom power. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when he said, look, if the rulers of this age had only known, they would not have crucified the Son of God. But they didn't know. That's why the Bible says that Satan filled Judas with his presence. Satan entered into Judas, Jesus said. Twice he told his disciples that. And then Judas is the one that came to the garden of Gethsemane with the temple guards to arrest him, betrayed him, kissed him on the cheek, just like Satan kissed Adam and Eve on the cheek, if you will, and kissed God on the cheek, if you will, and and then spit on the whole thing and betrayed it and brought it down to this world we're living in now, this fallen world. So when Jesus knelt in that garden, and what I do is I have the reader, the Bible says an angel came to him. Well, the question is, how did he get there? Did he drive a pickup truck into the garden? Of course, I'm being silly. Did he arrive on a chariot? Did he come down to the angels live on the mountains and he came out of the... No, he came through a portal of another dimension, the unseen realm that Paul talks about at the evil level. We've got to be dressed in our armor because in the unseen realm of these powers and principalities of evil. Well, there's also the unseen realm of the divine throne of God in the angelic realm. And this angel came to him to comfort him, to minister to him. And probably offer the legions, which even Jesus talks about. So I have all of that, but here's the thing that nails it for me. The words of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospels, the words that he spoke when he finally, you know, he said, okay, this is it. I'm going to the cross. This is it. And then before he knew it, here's Judas right in the garden. I'm making air quotes now. In the garden with him. But what were his words? Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And what was happening, it was a reclaiming of paradise. It was the reversal, the great reversal, the reversing of the curse. Why is that? Because think about it. What Satan, Adam, and Eve did in the garden was to say to God, basically Satan with his fist balled up in God's face, not your will anymore, but mine. Mm, And Adam and Eve succumbed to that. And Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. The second Adam. So the first Adam lost it in the garden. The second Adam regained it in the garden. And the Bible says he went to a certain spot, told his disciples to go somewhere else and pray. And there he agonized. There the angel came to him. There Satan showed up, at least in the voices, and at least in that interdimensional voice. But yet Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. He holds the keys to all the dimensions, to life, to death, to everything. So he can see through all of that. He knows the portals. He invented them. He created them. So I actually have Satan showing up in the garden, in Jesus' presence, even though the Scriptures doesn't say that, but the Scriptures do say that he battled with all of this. Obviously, he was battling with Satan. We know that when Jesus showed up in the wilderness after the baptism, Satan was there. 
And the Bible spoke about how he left him till a more opportune time. Well, what a more opportune time than in the Garden of Gethsemane and even at the cross. And so, anyway, I just build all of this in, but my purpose is to help people understand these are not children's bedtime stories. This is real stuff that really happened and is still happening in the spiritual realm to the point that we're watching our world go down this spiral of filth as it gets closer to the return of the Lord. This is as real as it gets, Brother James. And so I try to bring this alive in the book so that people don't feel like they're just reading another, and I'm making air quotes again, story about Jesus. And that's okay, but it's been done a million times. And I don't want them to feel like they're reading some kind of far-out fantasy novel about Jesus and the Bible. I want them to feel the reality of the scriptures, and as they read it, not only smell it, feel it, taste it, touch it, but also go, wow, now I see how that happened. Now I understand why the scriptures say this or say that. And a lot of people that have read it, they're saying that that's the experience they're having. So yeah, I do think, because in my book, Gods of Ground Zero, I make the scholarly case. Right that Jerusalem and the Temple Mount area and Israel itself was Eden, and the Garden of Eden located right in the area of the Temple Mount. Well, of course, you know, the Garden of Gethsemane is right there at the Temple Mount. Mm -hmm. And so for members of your audience that have ever gone to Israel and gone on the tours and have gone to the Temple Institute, the Jewish people say that. They say it in their Temple Institute presentation, that the Temple Mount is where God created Adam. And then the Muslims say that on the Dome of the Rock. They've got inscriptions and an archway that you go in, and it says this is the entrance to the Garden of Eden, the original Garden of Eden. And then the scriptures seem to say that, and I pull out those scriptures and make the scholarly case with it. So I write the book kind of centered that way as the book opens with in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it is written like a movie. It starts in the end, kind of. Mm-hmm. And then it backs up and goes all the way to the Garden of Eden, and then it comes all the way back through to the cross, and then beyond, the church is born, and then you watch the Apostle John as he's an elderly man go to trial, sentenced to the island of Patmos. You go to the island of Patmos with him. You're there with him when the Lord appears to him and gives him the revelation. You're there with him when he's released from Patmos. You're there with John on his deathbed. And you're there with John when he goes into glory and sees the Lord and knows that he is in paradise. The book goes from the Garden of Eden to John's death and everything in between. And I really emphasize all along the way this interdimensional reality that the Bible speaks of, how it all works in a natural kind of way. It's not some freaky science fiction thing. It's just Satan just walks through the atmosphere. He just appears. He knows where the portals are. And we see it happen through the scriptures. We see it happen with the angels. We see Jesus walk through walls in the upper room. We see him disappear into the clouds on the ascension day. And I mean, you know, the resurrection. I mean, where are these people? Where are they going? What's happening? It's because we live in an interdimensional universe, which is why Jesus says in Revelation 1, look, I hold the keys to all of this. And he says, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way. And those are old words for what we would say, I am the portal that goes from one dimension to the next. Nobody comes into the dimension where my Father is unless they come through me. Does all of that make sense, James? Amen, amen. 
One of the glimpses of glory that you write about is how God the Father was located within the dimension of his own cosmic glory, while at that same instant he existed in human flesh on earth, even on a cross as God the Son. That is profound. Would you elaborate a little bit on that statement? Your description was excellent, but for people that are listening that have never thought of it like that, they're freaking out right now. They're saying, what? He wrote what? That sounds like heresy. No, 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 no. Let me explain it like this. God says it. In Zechariah 12, he says, And on that day, you will look upon me whom you have pierced. Right. But you will mourn for him as an only son. Now, John, he's the one that starts his gospel by saying, Look, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and oh, by the way, and the Word was God, and oh, by the way, That Word, who is God and was God, He became flesh and dwelt among us. And through Him, and through that, we beheld the glory of God. Okay, but then later, John actually quotes Zechariah 12, when God says, on that day you're going to look upon me whom you've pierced. It's me that's on that cross, but I'm in the flesh. And John actually writes that and says, this is to fulfill what the prophet spoke. So, It's in the Scripture. It's clear God says it in the Old Testament. John writes about it in the New Testament. John was right up next to Jesus. Jesus was on the face of the earth for 40 days after his resurrection. And the Bible says in two or three places when he was with them, it says he opened the Scriptures and showed him everything that was about him. Everything. Which is why John could write that stuff. Because Jesus told him. And plus, John witnessed it and lived it and understood it. So, again, these are truths that are in the Bible, truths that a lot of the classical scholars wrote about and talked about all the time. But our modern church has left the classical understanding of the Scriptures and the contextual connections of them in the dust. Tomorrow, Carl Gallops and James Collins will continue to look into the deep and glorious truths found in God's Word. Glimpses of Glory by Carl Gallops is an excellent book that will encourage you. Tom Horn states, From the opening words to the last, Glimpses of Glory is like watching a riveting movie, absolutely engrossing, a stunning journey that will answer many questions and undoubtedly enhance your perspective of life and of God's Word. Order your copy of Glimpses of Glory today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order on our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Pastor Larry Spargimino is here now to share an important update of the wonderful gospel impact that is happening through our prison ministry. Hi, this is Pastor Larry. I praise the Lord for our prison ministry. In this prison ministry update, I want to share a very encouraging report. Mimi Davis, our prison ministry director, has received so many responses from prisoners, from parents, and from spouses of those who are incarcerated, and that's wonderful. That means that lives are being touched. I'm I'm so happy for that. Ministry is taking place. And actually, some of those who are in prison are active in Bible studies, and a few have actually started Bible studies using some of our materials that we've sent to them. Praise the Lord for that. 
It's such a blessing to hear so many good reports. There is a lot of bad news in the world, but praise God, we have some good news to report to you. I want to read a portion of a letter from a prisoner in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I quote it, We have a very powerful fellowship time. What started out as a Bible study has now turned into a worship service, exclamation mark. It's amazing how God has drawn so many of the men here to our fellowship. Thank you for all your wonderful material that helps us in our studies, close quotes. This prisoner mentioned the uh, wonderful material that we sent. Southwest Radio Church sends material to inmates in 52 prisons, and this is free material to inmates. And so, friends, it's your gifts to the prison ministry that pays for the books and pays the postage to get the material to prisoners. And in addition, every time we send a book, article, or something to a prisoner, we include a self-addressed stamped envelope so that the inmate can write back to us. We try to stay in touch with them. And that, of course, is all funded by your gifts to our prison ministry. We do have those who contribute on a regular basis to our prison ministry. What a blessing. That is certainly much appreciated. You can call 1-800-652-1144 and ask for our director of prison ministry. She would prefer an email rather than a phone call. She's getting such a large response. So her email is Mimi at SWRC.com. That's Mimi at SWRC.com. Mimi is spelled M-I-M-I. If you have any questions about our prison ministry, just send her an email. Mimi would love to answer your question or concerns. Mimi has been with us for several years, and I certainly appreciate the way our outreach has increased under her leadership. Here are some of her comments about her ministry and how she feels about her ministry. She told me this recently, and I'm quoting it, My heart overflows with love each and every time an inmate has accepted Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior. Close quotes. And friends, that is so encouraging. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. That's from 1 John 2, verse 2. Mimi told me recently that many of the inmates tell her that if they had not gone to prison, they would never have been saved. That is certainly something for which we can praise God. And I praise the Lord for those of you who have contributed to the work of the prison ministry here at Southwest Radio Church. Some of you give on a regular basis. Thank you so much for that. That is greatly appreciated. These men and women in in prison are in bondage in prison but they're free in Jesus Christ. He's the great liberator. He sets the prisoner free wherever they may be. These inmates have no doubt made some bad decisions in the past, and I'm sure they would admit that. But God is merciful, and we want to help inmates receive some of that mercy and grace. That's our goal. You know, friends, when I first came to Oklahoma in May of 1998 to serve with Dr. Hutchings here at Southwest Radio Church, on Sundays I would go to different prisons and hold meetings. I received training and uh, was licensed by the Oklahoma Department of Corrections. So every Sunday afternoon I would drive sometimes 100 miles one way to hold meetings and meet with the inmates. 
it was a blessing to me. I got to learn a lot. I got to speak with a lot of prisoners. We had some decisions for Christ. It was very exciting. And you know, one of the things I noticed is that so many of those who are incarcerated have really been duped and damaged by liberalism. Liberalism breeds an entitlement mentality. Liberalism removes personal responsibility and sees people as victims. The movie industry has betrayed our children. Movies are assaulting the innocence of our children and turning many of them into young savages. The public schools encourage moral ambiguity because there are no moral absolutes, according to many of the school teachers that we have today. And so, The result of all of this is that our prison population is growing by leaps and bounds. That's very unfortunate, but I praise the Lord for our prison ministry. We're getting good material into the hands of men and women who are currently incarcerated, and all because you care and are seeking to make a difference in the lives of these men and women. We live in a very violent society. There was an assassination attempt against U.S. Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh recently. The individual was unhappy with Justice Kavanaugh because of his desire to see Roe v. Wade overturned. Where does that hostility come from? Well, there's a video of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer telling Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh that he would, quote, pay the price for rolling back abortion rights. It's this kind of irresponsible speech by some of our leaders that is so dangerous so we need to we need to minister to those who are incarcerated that's a great mission field so if you can help us continue to get good literature into the prisons and minister to men and women who are incarcerated pray about it and see what the lord would have you to do maybe our prison ministry director tries to stay in touch with these prisoners who have asked for materials and who have written to us. Now, here's a few lines from an inmate in Michigan, and I quote it. I want to thank you for finding me as I transferred to another prison and had no postage. Thank you for providing me with postage page envelopes because I did not have the funds to purchase them. I have learned how much you all care for us behind bars as you all located me. I thank God, my Heavenly Father, for all of you there. I also want to thank you all for making these books available to us. We very much look forward to the book of the month every month, close quotes. And then uh, here's a letter from an inmate from Ontario, Oregon, quote, Thank you for the continual messages you send me that keeps me reminded how loving God's family really is. I also want to thank you for my yearly calendar with all the daily scriptures on it. I use the calendar in our Bible studies and thank God for it. So our prison ministry is having a vital role. And once again, remember our ministry in prayer. If God leads you to help, that would be wonderful. God bless all of you. Order your copy of Glimpses of Glory by Carl Gallups today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144 or order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Tomorrow, Carl Gallups will continue to look into God's Word to find those glimpses of glory.
Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners just like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com.